0: ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: If you like compassion, excuses, and heartwarming messages, you have clicked on the wrong f-ing link. There's a new sports voice in Toronto. The smooth talking, rough necking Mike Roach, where sports life and truth collide. New sports entertainment for the next generation. Something different, no bias, and no BS. This is the Mike Roach Podcast. Subscribe to the Mike Roach Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcast. And remember to follow Mike on Instagram at MikeRoach7 and at oxp.media.
2: What's going on, people? Welcome to another episode of the Mike Roach Podcast. Special guest this week, Sportsnet's own Michael Grange. And we talked about a lot of things in this podcast, where he grew up playing collegiate basketball, how we got into the media landscape, including sports. We touched on race in America. We touched on so many deep things. So many people see Michael Grange, but they don't really know, you know, the in-depth person of who he really is. You know what I mean? So I wanted to share that with you guys today. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Please remember to follow, share, like everything OXP Media. And looking forward to giving you some more content next week. What's going on, people? Welcome to another episode of the Mike Roach Podcast, brought to you by OXP Media and the Battle Canada series. Got another great guest for you today, columnist, radio and television personality for Rogers Sportsnet, Michael Grange. Michael, how you doing, my friend?
3: I'm very well, Mike, and a pleasure to be on this with you.
2: Now Mike, I haven't seen you since all of this stuff and has happened with with covid nineteen How are you and how are the family?
3: I appreciate asking and um very well really i mean i uh I almost feel guilty uh whenever I answer that question because um you know I'm very aware <laughs> you know a lot of people are having a rough time either health wise or family wise and work wise and all that and and I've been lucky to uh to kind of avoid any of those those issues so far. And the, the upside has been uh, a lot of time with my own family. I've got teenage kids, and uh, they're sort of at that stage where they kind of pass in and out of the house, and you might see them for a minute, maybe you won't. And, um, and to have them all under one roof and really having time to... Be together in a, in a nice kind of unrush, unrushed way has been it's been an absolute blessing. So, um, from that perspective, a very narrow one, it's been uh, it's been kind of a nice thing.
2: Have they asked you to do any TikTok videos yet?
3: <laughs> I asked my daughter if she would and you no, I don't make the cut. <laughs> my, my, my my kids are very uh, very. Very ashamed of me. So uh, I can live with it. It's
2: okay. <laughs> okay. Like, have you been like me and just said to hell with it and grew a fro? Or have you tried to cut your own hair yet?
3: <laughs> I, uh, I have uh, a beard that now dates back to nice. uh, March 12th, I guess. So the day after all that stuff went down, I pretty much, I haven't, I don't think I've worn a suit or uh, shaved in since.
2: That and, must be uh, a record. There, You've been in the business. Uh, for a I minute. think it
3: is. I think it is. I, I think last summer, I because there was quite a long break after uh, you know after the finals and the parade, I was off for a couple of months. But I think I might have shaved a couple of times in there. But no, this summer's this has been for sure a record. So it's uh, I get uh, I get mixed reviews, but uh, I'm going to stick with it until we have a, a firm uh, return to date return to play date. All
2: right. So so I'm. I'm, I'm just so super curious about you in general because, I mean, I've been seeing you around for years around the stadium and yeah. we, we say our high and bye and we've chopped it up and spoke maybe not that many times, but you know, everybody's busy and everybody's kind of doing their thing in the stadium, right? So yeah. I just have a real uh, general curiosity about the man, the myth, the <laughs> legend, Michael Grange. Who is Michael Grange? That's that's (laughs) what that's what I'm trying to figure out, and that's what the people want to know on the Micros podcast today. Uh, Um,
3: I guess I'm just uh, hard for me to say. Um, You know, I think I'm I'm proudly boring. Maybe maybe that's not the answer you want, but but uh, you know, kind of somebody who doesn't really have that too many features in his uh, day to day that maybe jump out. Uh, but I like to think I'm a very thoughtful person. I like to do a lot of reading. I like to do a lot of exercising. I like to do a lot of contemplating. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I spend a lot of time thinking, I guess. <laughs> and, you know, and and uh, when I get the chance, I like to talk about some of that stuff. But it's, um, you know, basketball's part of it, but but not the only, not the only, that's for sure.
2: Now, you're a lover of sports, but I know you're really a lover of the game of basketball. And you went to Mount Allison university in new Brunswick and you played basketball there. But before you even got to new Brunswick, what I want to know is, did you grow up in the GTA in Toronto? And if you didn't, where did you grow up? But if you did grow up in Toronto, what was it like for you to grow up in Toronto? And what was it like living in your household growing up?
3: Wow. That's a great question. Yeah. The answer would be, um, you know the short story is uh, my my parents were are both from Northern Ireland and they emigrated to uh, Canada in the uh, mid 60s. My brother was already was born in Ireland, came over with them. I have an older brother, and I was born here. But we first arrived in Montreal or Quebec, not exactly Montreal, and and were that was there until sort of the mid 70s. And uh, then when the political situation got a little unstable in Quebec, we moved to. Ontario and, and Toronto area and the first it was Brampton. Brampton Bramalee. And then uh yep, and then,
2: I know the and, area quite well. I'm in yeah, Brampton, right? And
3: um, and then we moved to the west end of Toronto. Um, and that's you know, that's where I went to public school and high school. So grade seven middle school and high school, I guess. And um, you know, and and uh, you're right. I mean basketball is only is always been a huge, huge part of my life, mainly because think like a lot of first generation kids it was the only real sport available to me you know uh we I kind of missed the boat on hockey and as much as I love it like I just never got a chance to play it for a bunch of different reasons and then um you know and then you know I'm old enough that life wasn't so programmed so really it was whatever you could play on the street with your buddies until I got to but around grade seven eight um, I got really into basketball. There was a church I went to downtown uh, that had a gym, and so I got to play there a little bit. And, and I guess the main reason would be the first friend I made when I moved to Toronto, his older a guy named Joe Netch. his name was, a Polish, and they was, he was a Polish guy. And his older brother played on the high school team at Humberside, which is where I went in the West End here. And they were a really good team. They won, the, they won the city title, I think, in 1979 when I was in grade six. And I remember where I would go and watch them play every time we got. And it was funny. I got to, you know, I saw Mark Jones and Paul Jones play at Oakwood. I saw Norm Clark play at Oakwood. I saw, and it just happened to be at a time when you know, I would argue it was sort of the golden era um, generation in a way for Toronto high school basketball. It was sort of at the time that you know the city was changing. There was a, the population was was people coming from all over, and they were a lot of them were like me, except maybe from <laughs> from a lot of them were from the Caribbean, yeah. and um, you know. But the same idea, right? Like they were, you know, the, we weren't like no one was driving us to hockey type of deal. Yeah, yeah. and so you know, so basketball was the sport that you played in your high school, and and you know, and and everyone kind of gravitated to. And, um, so there was that element, there was a whole new population of people, this pushback are going on. And, and at the time, you know, there was grade 13. So kids were, you know, you kids 19, 20 years old playing high exactly. school basketball. The OAC. <laughs> yeah. You know, they'd take that extra year of high school sometimes. So grade 14. And, uh, and then very rarely would they end up going to the States. That was the other thing, whereas now, like, the best of the best kind of gets skimmed off, by grade 9 or 10. They're already making plans to go south. Um, then, you know, it was very exceptional for someone to go to the States. It seemed impossible. And so you just had an incredible collection of talent, all concentrated in, you know, probably half a dozen uh, high schools in the GTA area, maybe, you know, maybe a dozen. And uh, so it was incredible to go watch those games. And that's where I really fell in love with the sport. And then was lucky enough as I went through high school to be good enough to play in a lot of those games and against some of those guys. And, um, you know, and that was, you know, those are my, um, quite honestly, my fondest memories. And I, that's, that's what I love. That's, that's, that's where the, that's where the fever was born, so to speak.
2: Now I mentioned before that, you went to Mount Allison University in New Brunswick. You played for the team, but you also were a writer at the same time in school. Yeah. Is that right? So So you, right. so you and played and wrote about the team simultaneously.
3: <laughs> well, what you have to understand, Mike, is um, Mount A is a very small school. It's an excellent school. Um, but I think when I was there, I might have had 2,000 students. It's a little bit bigger now. And you talk about culture shock, right? I was, I'd never been there. You know, there was no campus tours, no like, you know, fly down and check it out. It was like, you know, what had happened is my my family, my dad had, uh, you know, his his job, he got kind of laid off here in Toronto and and there was a job opportunity with a lot of security in New Brunswick. And so that's what he decided to do. And um, so I ended up my kind of looking for schools down there and, and my high school coach saw Mount A play at I think the Ryerson university turned around Christmas time in my grade 13 year and said, Hey, you know, if you're thinking schools school's down there, you might want to check this one out. Like I was a good player, but certainly not like somebody that people were running around the country recruiting. And, um, you know, and so, so, and I was a good student, so that was a great fit. And I ended up at this totally random school <laughs> in the middle of rural New Brunswick. Yeah, that's pretty And, crazy. uh, you know, and, and, um, playing for a great coach, a guy named Dave Crook, who went on to coach internationally for Canada and had a great career. And he was right at the beginning of it. So that was lucky. But to the point of your question, as I said, it was a very small school. And so, you know, it wasn't like there was, you could kind of do anything. And, And so there was a student newspaper, but it wasn't like you could only do the student newspaper or you had to try out for it or something like that. It was kind of like, Hey, if you want to do it, you can do it. And nobody was writing about the basketball team. And so I said, okay, well, I guess I'll do that. And so I would, you know, we'd go and we'd play Acadia and St. of on a Friday and a Saturday. And on Sunday, I'd kind of drag myself into the newspaper office and write a story about how, you know, typically got smoked. <laughs> you know, we weren't a great program. <laughs> and, um, you know, but, uh, you know, I'd always managed to fit in there. Mike Grange had eight points, you know, I always made sure I got did, that in there. Did writing but, come uh, easy for you? Uh. uh yeah i th- i mean relatively i mean i was i was you know i always tell people i was you know if i have won two things I can do really well in this world and one is i can shoot from eighteen feet <laughs> 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 and two i just you yeah, know i've i i have deep two point range the three point the three point uh, the three point line is has uh, sort of diminished my my significance but um but anyway so and i and i could read i was just a i i was you know i i Lucky for me, I mean, my mom just made sure I always had a bunch of books around and, and I just took to it and I always have, never have stopped. And uh, and so I think, and I, I have vivid memories of being taken to the library in Bramley. And uh, my mom worked there for a while and she would kind of take me on a Saturday and leave me and I'd go to the, you know, the stacks where they keep all the old magazines and things like that. And I'd pull out, you know, a bunch of Sports Illustrated and just read them like we were talking, this is in the seventies. So we're like, we're talking like almost that the magazine was founded and I would just read them over you know, one by one. And, um, and so, you know, I had, and I read the sport, I delivered newspapers. I read the sports section of every single day of my life probably. And so I just, when it came time to actually start writing, like I just, I never really struggled that much. And, um, and then, and then I think I had a little bit of, early success with it. Like, you know, I, I was, not horrible. Mm-hmm. And, uh and by that time, I was really kind of reading, you know, really good writers that, you know, the top writers in newspapers, the top writers that in magazines, and really kind of, kind of wanting to imitate them a little bit. So, um, you know, like everything else, you fake it until you can do it yourself. But, uh, so, but yeah, I, I, I would say, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm, like, gifted or anything like that, but I definitely uh, could, you know, when I put my mind to it, I, it came to me fairly fairly linearly, I guess, is the way to put it.
2: If you can go back and speak to your former self, let's say, when you were 18, what would you tell yourself?
3: Don't worry so much. <laughs> Good advice. Don't worry so much. Um, I'd be the one publishable. What do you mean by uh, that? In, in, in what way? Um, just, you know, things generally have a way of working out and, uh, try to, you know, I was just a guy who just, you know, I just always felt like I had to have the gas on and try and, uh, you know, just, uh, just didn't, wasn't like I was, I didn't relax. I had a good time, but, but I just was always kind of anxious about, you know, doing my best, doing better, uh, to keep my grades up, you know what was next, what was next, what was next. Um, you judge yourself to, a
2: lot, like like super yeah, hard sure, on yourself, all that
3: kind of stuff. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, like not in a crippling way, but but definitely in a way where you know. I think if I had known, you know, I, and I, even this as I talk about parenting, you know, if, if I knew I was all going to work out, I would have enjoyed the journey a lot more. You know, because mm-hmm. I was always just so worried about where it might head that. You know, you're just vigilant all the time and and thinking of the worst. And so that'd be one. That'd be one bit of advice. Uh, The other bit of advice would be, you know, six beers is about enough. (laughs) 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 Six beers is about enough. Anything more than six is, you know, unlikely good things are going to happen. You know, and uh, it took me a long, long, long time to figure that one out. And in some ways to my detriment but uh hey it I've ain't, it ain't just ser- you I've i'll tell you that much about that. what's that
2: it's not just you who need th-
3: who needs no, to No, but that. i'm quite serious about that i try and tell that to my own kids i go listen you know like it's great to have a good time but at that point where you think that it can only only more wherever you're drinking you'll make it better that's when you <laughs> gotta stop because that's usually where the trouble begins so those are those be the two um i think i would have uh those, those two. So, those two.
2: so before you started, um, working into the, getting yourself into the sports industry, right? So like you're finished at school now, you graduate. Now I know I've heard you say that you you worked in some bars and you are a welfare worker and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So tell me about that transition from that, uh, and then getting into sports. Like, was there a time when you said, all right, the hell with this, I'm not doing this forever. <laughs>
3: A little. I mean, I mean, what happened is I, I finished school and, and I, I had a fair number of options. I was I was a hardworking student and I had pretty good grades and, and all that. So I could have, you know, jumped into probably a number of different things. I wasn't all that agree all that organized. So it wasn't like I had been applying for I kind of knew after university I was going to probably take at least one year off. So I hadn't like applied to a whole bunch of things. Um, came back to Toronto, needed to work. So I ended up, uh, you know, first job ever was at a after school, at a meatpacking meat plant. That wasn't great, but um,
2: speaking of that, but, we're like, what's uh, the worst job you've ever had? Then
3: I think the meatpacking plant. Oh, I mean, man. I've cleaned a lot of toilets, I've pushed a lot of brooms, and dug a lot of holes, and you know, uh, but the meatpacking plant was not great. So um, anyway, so and then from there, I, I, you know, that was kind of that first summer after school. I ended up getting a job at a bar, and that was really fun. Um, you know, it was a big, busy place downtown, right near, you know, what was then Sky Dome. And, you know, it was, it was, I did not follow my Shakespeare rule, but I had a lot, I really did have a lot of fun. And, um, you know, it was, you worked hard, but you may always seem to have a, like a ton of cash in your pocket and a lot of people to play with sort of thing. And, um, so I liked that. And after about two or three years, though, I was kind of starting I, maybe a couple of years. I was like, I ah, can okay, this is not a sustainable lifestyle. I better, you know, you have a, you better start thinking about something a little more seriously. And um and at the time, you know, a, a friend of mine was working for the city of Toronto in the welfare department and there was actually quite a significant economic downturn recession at that time. This would have been in the kind of mid nineties and uh sorry, early nineties. And um so I was able to get a job and it was like a real job, you know, pension benefits, dental, all that. And um uh, you know, and my job was was to evaluate uh, people applying for welfare based on you know whatever their criteria were and it was kind of an awkward, very awkward thing to do. I was still a it did it teach you 26. anything? Um, yeah, it did teach me things for sure. Um, you know i i I was very empathetic always uh, I had I had been anyway and and uh, and you know had no reason not to be in that situation. I mean, it was really interesting to meet people who are just clearly, I don't want to say screwed, but they were in, they were in tough situations, man. Like they be it for any number of reasons they were new to the country. They were, you know, had tough, you know, they had their own physical mental limitations that they you know, were holding the back or, you know, you know, you, all those things that are kind of systemic that are very, very difficult to overcome. And, and you're just seeing it over and over again every day and um you know it really made me believe that you know like there is a role to help people you know and 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 not make it any more difficult than it has to be and you know people would always get talk about you know whenever a government gets involved to help people they think there's always going to be people take advantage and you know, screw, it, screw the system, whatever it might be. And and I honestly saw so little of that. So few examples of that, what I saw mostly was over and over again, where people just really trying to find a way to get through their next day, the next week. And, you know, and so you tried to help, right? And um, there was, you know, your hands were limited a little bit, but you did your best and you tried to be dignified about it. And uh, that was definitely my approach and part of it was I was so young, right? Like who was I to be judging some mother of four, whether or not, they, you know, like, I, you know, uh, there wasn't, I did it. And, and, you know, you tried to be judicious about everything about it and follow your rules and all that. But, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, it was not hard for me to be empathetic and try and kind of inject some dignity, to the whole process and keep it judgment free. And, um, you know, and and hope people got back on their feet. And and so it was valuable, you know, to really understand (laughs) that uh, things aren't always fair. Right. Sure. And and again, and then from my perspective, kind of appreciate the things that I had in my life that, you know, had allowed me to be on the other side of that window, so to speak. And um, so those are good lessons to learn at that age, I think, especially living in a city like Toronto. Um, And then, but you're right. After three or four years of that, like, I, you know, I was like, OK, this, I'm not going to do this for the next 25 years. Um, and, and at that time, by that time, I had really developed a passion for journalism and reading. And, and I'd taken some courses at night and done some kind of writing and kind of, uh, you know, in free publications. And so I was really like really into the craft and the of it. And, and I finally just got, enough, got up enough courage to try it and, mm-hmm. uh, as a profession. And so I, I, I quit my job. I applied to a journalism master's program at Western. And, um, you know, and just put my head down for about, it was an 18-month program and just, just kind of grinded away and tried to make the best of it.
2: So when you look at your career and some of the things that you have accomplished, even today, right now, what makes you feel inspired? Like, what keeps you going?
3: <laughs> uh, that's an excellent question. Um, fear, a little bit, right? Like, you don't want to be embarrassed. You don't want to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't want to, uh, you know, like, there, there's a lot of really good people who cover the NBA or cover the Raptors. And so, you know, it's it's like in the old days when it was just newspapers, the first thing you did, you wouldn't read your own story. You'd go and read the story in the sun and the star and and uh, you know, and then eventually the post and wanna make sure you didn't get scooped or you missed something or you know, and and when you didn't or by or if you scooped them or beat them so to speak. That was a great day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but when it happened when the shoe was on the other foot, it was a horrible day. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um and so there's still a little bit of that. Like you just wanna keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of really talented people doing it. Um and also, you know, I still love the game, right? I just I'm still amazed at, at um, so many elements about basketball and the NBA. I still love stories and sports is the best, you know, I, it might be the best avenue yet we've ever created uh, for really to be able to tell people's real stories. Um, you know, it's like this never-ending passion project. Um and, you know, and just like a gratefulness, right, and an appreciation that, that you're lucky to do what you do and to not take it for granted. So some combination of those things, but, you know, it, it, you know, not, some days are easier than others and, and, and all that. It's uh, But uh, as long as usually one of those things kind of gets me going each morning.
2: If you had a chance to sit down with anybody you wanted to sit down with, doesn't matter who, past, present, who would it be and why?
3: Oh, man. Uh, Let me think. I wish I had some super cool answer for you. Um, you know, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed. You know, I, I'd say, you know, Kyle Lowry is a really interesting guy, but I do have, I have had chances to do that, but I still think there's just so much more there that, you know, if he really wanted to trust you and open up to you, <laughs> you know, it'd be pretty, you know, not that I have a bad relationship. People think that I have a bad relationship with Kyle Lowry. I don't. We kind of do a lot of kidding around about it, but, um, but if, if, you know, there's, there's a lot there that'd be really interesting. and, and not like some of the personal stuff for sure, but but he's just such, I would really, really want to understand his, his basketball mind and the nuances of it. Um, that, I think that'd be pretty, pretty exciting. Um, and I guess, you know, if, if you went back and, and you know, it would be pretty interesting and you know, he's just kind of top of mind right now. But I think if someone was going to do a book about Isaiah Thomas, like a real book, about Isaiah Thomas really um, yeah wow. you know and not not Isaiah's like not his version of the story but but just one of those definitive American life type stories I think Isaiah Thomas would be you know that guy's been on every side of every story he's always in the heart of it just incredibly accomplished guy but yet with this incredible string of you know kind of tension drama failure he looks like he um, has a
2: lot of drama surrounding him.
3: He does. He's still and, beefing with Jordan, and that's just the least of it, right? Like, I mean, um, you know, it, it, you know, Isaiah's is just there's something about him and how he operates that creates greatness. Like, I mean, you cannot take a thing away from him as a player, um, and yet an incredible loyalty. There's people around him who. You know, I remember talking to Bill Lambier about him one time and say, I I think his line to me was, I proudly worship at the Church of Isaiah. I think <laughs> or it might have been follow one of those. Two. But it was it was like he was like, I'll go where that guy goes. I'll walk through fire with him. Oh, okay. And and he, you know, he's done that over and over again. He did it in Toronto as an executive. He did it when he was at the Knicks. He's able to inspire incredible loyalty around among those close to him. And yet you know there's always the other side of that where people just relationships splinter and businesses fail and you know feelings get hurt and uh you know that's,
2: no, that you, would be you know what you're you're so, be a pretty amazing right. book. you're so right man like there just seems to be so much drama but i I've, I've met the guy he's such a nice guy when oh, you yeah. just stand oh, t- I mean i don't know the guy i mean i've met him and talked to him for a quick second but he seems that you got he got that that smile that just lights up the room and he just seems like such a nice dude. But man, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, absolutely. So, right.
3: anyway, I mean, like you know, I'm trying to think of some historical guy. I mean, you know, Barack Obama comes to mind. And, uh, you know, we can go down any of the list of the of uh, you know those guys of, of you know real important public figures, right? But uh, yeah. But let's, yeah, we'll keep it in the lines for now.
2: So, so let me ask you this: Was there ever a, a time you thought maybe being in the sports industry was not for you?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think initially, I, I it wasn't my goal, right? Like, I wanted to be a you know a pretty serious newspaper reporter, journalist. Uh, you know, go to the war zones, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it just didn't. It, but in a way, because I started my career late and the first opportunities kind of came up in sports and I was, I had an aptitude anyway, that's where it went. And, and, you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't my goal. It just, it just was sort of the path I got, I ended up on and, and I was happy to be on it and make the best of it. Um, so it's kind of at the beginning. And then there's been times over the career, I would say, um, you know, it's it's a very tough, business to be in if you really value time with your family and you really value uh, you know something where you know your life isn't dictated by the schedules of other people <laughs> right that and, must be um, tough to
2: deal with though isn't it yeah especially when yeah, you first I, start I, off
3: I, a lot of traveling well, when, and you're young, and when, when you first like... start off it's not bad because you don't have much many responsibilities so it's no big deal um, but it, you know there's definitely there's probably about a 12 year at least Stage in there when, you know, you've got two little kids and in my case my wife is working and uh, the kids are growing and they're getting busier and they're getting more engaged and they need more from you and your wife's career is just as busy as yours, it's not more and, you know, you're taking off you know, you never, you're never home on a Sunday because the Raptors play at home and you're never home Friday night because the Raptors play at home and, uh, you know, and then you're taking off to travel because the Raptors are away and then, you know, <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah. Like it's, um, it's it's like I, you never complain about it because everyone else's job demands some sacrifices. Any almost any good any really good job, a really good career demands a ton of sacrifice. So, you know, you, it's stupid to to think you're somehow especially um, put out on. But but you know, there's times during that period where you're like, am I am I really serving my family the best by? You know, doing this, and is there something else I could do that would serve everybody's interest better? And you know, the answer kept being not really, (laughs) so I better keep going here, (laughs) and um, and and all of that. So, um, you know, and sometimes that that'd be it mainly, you know. But for the most part, it's a great ride, right? Like, so you don't, you know, like anything else. Like, if you want to focus on the negative. You know, there's always there's always something there to focus on, but yeah. like really, you're better better served by by uh, you know paying attention to what what what's good and what's what what you're lucky what's lucky.
2: Let's say you had a few extra million bucks laying around, how would you? <laughs> how, I, I love these I, questions. Yeah, like how would you spend wow. it? How would you spend it? What would you do with it? Uh, we're trying to well, figure out like, who Michael Grange is right now. Yeah, we're learning.
3: Yeah, um, I like I would say this. I'm I'm pretty. I'm pretty simple in my tastes, right? And so, um, you know, like that's one thing I've been – I think I'm fairly good at is, is I, I'm not – like I kind of know the things – like as long as you're not broke and you're not like really s- stressing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I've, I kind of concluded over the years that the, what makes you happy – um, I'm not going to say money doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. But yes, it does. What makes you happy? You know, is for me anyway. I'll say for me is just like little, like little things make you happy. Little things to look forward to, and it's it's kind of like having things to look forward to in the absence of um, you know stresses that that can kind of take away from those things. And so when I hear about like what would I do if I won the lottery or something like that. You know, it's not like I, you know, sure, I'd probably upgrade my house a little bit, but I don't think I'd, like, move to to some exotic location. <laughs> like, the things that make me happy are really, it is, is being, is, is exercising, having fun when I do that, um, being around people who are in turn can share that a little bit, uh, and then just finding ways to connect with, uh, you know, your friends and, and family and, and stuff like that. And so, to me, honestly, I would just want to kind of use that money to, to facilitate things I like to do. And, and then just sprinkle in a couple of, you know, a little bit of excitement here or there, a trip or, 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 or have an option maybe just to change. um You know, like I think of, like I don't crave more excitement and more bustle and more hustle. Like if I had an option, I would, you know, I like. I'll tell you something. I would really want to do.
2: Okay,
3: I would like to build a house or a place that's kind of off the grid, not like you know that. And and it's almost hard to describe. But but somewhere that's a little bit remote that has with within it the the three or four things that that I enjoy to do. You know, almost every day and. Um, basketball you know, it court. Wouldn't mean I, yeah, like a place to Gym. work out, a basketball court, a couple of you know, a couple of some of that stuff. Wouldn't have to be huge. Wouldn't have to be ostentatious. Have a nice, beautiful kitchen, and um, you know, and 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 a place to get outside a little bit. A place to ride my bike. Uh, you know, a place to do some yoga. A Place to do some you know to swim a little bit, and uh, you know, and be able a place to bring people who would want to kind of share some meals and, mm. you know, and, and like,
2: that's awesome. I don't yeah. know
3: if I would do that for three, I wouldn't know if I would want to do that for 365 days, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, to have that as an option that you could retire to or sit back or kind of Absolutely. get to every once in a while, mm. not a cottage. I'm not big on lakes and boats and all that kind of stuff. Just, you know, somewhere and the house itself in my mind's eye would be very, a fit, very efficient, very minimalist. Just, just like a, just like a really smart, modest, uh, efficient place to spend time. That's awesome. <laughs> how how boring is that? Is that the most? No, I, I think that. Heard? Yeah,
2: I think that's great. I think that's great. Because my
3: point of being is, is like from the time I get up to the time I go to bed at night. There's, you know, as long as I'm going to read something good. I'm going to have a good workout. I'm going to have some meals to look forward to and maybe and the right people to hang out with, you know, that's going to make me happy six days out of seven, you know, nine weeks out of 10, you know? And, no, and, and, uh,
2: and you're right. I don't think that's boring at all because what I'm getting from what you're saying is, is that at the end of the day, um, being happy is what matters because you can have everything. We've, we've seen this many times, whether it be athletes whether it be uh, celebrities, we're talking about guys who have more money than we can even imagine. And we're hearing that DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Love, others. We have other celebrities, multiple. We've seen people commit suicide. We've seen people suffering from depression. These guys are making hundreds of millions of dollars. So clearly, it doesn't matter how much money you're making at the end of the day, if you're not happy your life is just not going to be good.
3: I, I agree. Uh, and I, I think, and I, I guess my own little spin on that is, and you know, my kids would laugh as they were hearing me is, is like, you know, the more you want, you know, the, the, the more you need in a way. And, and really, if you, I guess what I'm saying is when you, when I really break down the things that I, that bring you a little bit of joy in any given day, they're very uncomplicated things. and, the things that make me frustrated or are always are, are things that get in the way of that. <laughs> right, right. Right. And, 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 and that's why this kind of, in a way this COVID thing has been sort of an interesting test of those things. And, um, you know, I haven't really craved too many things that I haven't been able to access because I've been able to kind of in some ways over index on the things that, um, you know, that I, uh, would make me happy anyway. So, you know, you kind of look at that, and go, okay, well, uh, I don't really need a lot. Like I, I uh, you know, and so uh, I guess if I had the money, I would use it to create time to um, kind of streamline my life in a way that, that I guess that's to, so that it kind of really emphasizes the simple things I enjoy. How's that? That sounds perfect. And then once in a while, you take a cool trip. <laughs> okay.
2: So, Mike, I got two more for you before I let you get out of here, okay? Um, has there been a time in your career, maybe it doesn't even have to be just strictly in correlation to your career, but at life where you failed at something and you learned and you said, I'll make sure that this never happens again. Like, what did you learn from it?
3: <laughs> um, short answer, yes. <laughs> um, and you know, I, I would say I'm not sure I do learn enough from my mistakes. I think I, you know, we all kind of have little habits that we repeat, and I wouldn't be any different. Um, you know, I would say that you know, failing or falling short has been a great teacher, and it's also been a great over time. It's allowed me to really created confidence about myself, um, in my own resiliency. And, you know, and, uh, I don't know if I would have been able to tell you that 20 years ago or 10 years ago, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but, but at some point I realized that, you know, just, just because I hadn't exactly, you know, fulfilled whatever little picture I had for myself in any given pursuit, um, you know, I've never really stopped trying and, and, you know, I kind of go on and, and some of the times I've really hadn't handed to me either at work or, you know, in a personal setting or whatever it might be. Um, you know, I, I've kind of always, you know, I take it, I take my, I take those lumps. Like I definitely feel them, you know, and, um, and, but I, when I look back, I've always, always, always just kind of, Said fuck it and and found a way to push keep pushing in some shape or form Mm -hmm. um and so you know i guess the uh, overall the lesson i've learned is is i am resilient and how important it is to be resilient um but you know and i'd say you know the the yeah i I would say that And, and you know i think yeah (laughs) like without getting into too deep into my, uh, my personal experiences, but I mean, a very simple one would be basketball, right? Like I, no one loved basketball more than me and I was Mm -hmm. never as good as I wanted to be. Um, part of it was, you know, I didn't know how to be as good as I, you know, like I just didn't have a full enough understanding of what it took to be better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it always really frustrated me and, and, and made me, you know, but I, I, never stopped working, trying, competing. Um, and then I've kind of taken, you know, and, and that passion has never left. I've just kind of transferred it to other things, but, but it was painful for sure. When you weren't, you know, the team you're on were it wasn't as good as you wanted it to be. And yeah. you weren't as good as you wanted to be. And, um, you know, but you kept playing.
2: Before we, we wrap it up here, Mike. Um, I mean, if you could step into my shoes for a second, and, and you were the one doing a, a podcast speaking to somebody you really wanted to speak to, like what I'm doing now, like what is one thing you would have asked yourself that I did not ask you?
3: Um, you know, what do you try and teach your kids? Something like that. Right. Like, I mean, I think, I think it's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day and, you know, we're, or today we're talking about, um, you know, the, um, like I you know, right now it's a pretty tense situation in the U S you know, the black community and, and, you know, what we saw go down in Minneapolis and mm-hmm. elsewhere. And, and, uh, you know, and, and it's funny, like so many good friends of mine who are in the U S and in, in the media and all that. And then sort of, you can really feel their pain, you know, you can see their pain, I guess is the way to put it. And, um, and I guess what I'm, I I guess my point is, is, is when I, you know, I don't walk in, you know, like I'm a 50 something white guy from Toronto who covers the NBA and like to the extent I could ever really have anything in common with your average NBA player. Like it's, you know, I mean, who am am I kidding? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet I found that, when the one common denominator, the one thing you can always relate to somebody with, no matter where you're from, what your music is about, what your background is, even what your politics is in some ways, is, is, is kids. And once people have them, then they're, they're on a different, you're all on the same team in a way. And then, um, you know, so, so I think when you, when you really want to make a connection with somebody, you know, if you can, they realize that you're really sincere and asking about their kids and their family and what's important to you and what they're like and what you're trying to share they're you're trying to you as a parent are trying to share with them you know you're probably gonna you, you've got a chance you've got a chance to make a connection
2: you know it's crazy i never um i never thought about it that way but when you think about it, it 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 really is true what you just said. I have a daughter. I'm about to have another daughter in the next two months. Wow, and, <laughs>
3: crazy!
2: And I mean, you're right because at the end of the day, um, I think f- for the most part, everybody wants
3: the same for their kids. Like that. I mean, and and the ones that don't stand out, right? And you, everyone sees it right away, and they're mm-hmm. very rare. But that's my point is, is, you know, there's no one who, who doesn't almost. And it's, it's a universal human drive. And, um, you know, so if people are looking for ways to connect with each other, I like that's that's, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good place to start.
2: Yeah. Totally agree. And, uh, Columnist, radio, and television personality for Rogers Sportsnet, Mr. Michael Grange. Mike, I'm looking forward to seeing you back in the stadium. I have no. I... Okay, speaking of that, right before you go, like mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing you again in the stadium. Do you... I mean you're you're an insider with all of this stuff? Do we have <laughs> any word with what the heck is going on here?
3: Well, I think there's just been a building momentum. And so I think unless something really goes off the rails, I think, you know, the NBA is going to play. I think they are going to play as everyone kind of probably knows by now in Orlando. And it's, you know, exactly the format of that. We don't know, but the real wild card and the real question that, you know, no one's, you know, they've got to get this season figured out first, but is, is, you know, what's going to happen going forward. And if there's not a vaccine, I say, you know when the twenty twenty one season starts, what's that gonna look like, and you know <laughs> will we be seeing each other at Scotia Bank Arena or not? Yeah, so uh you know will there be fans there or not i mean i'm I'm hopeful, I think you know I try to be optimistic. I think you know things will will i guess figure it out to some degree, shape or form, but um but that's that's about as much as I know right now. <laughs> it's pretty wild. So I look we, forward to seeing you when I do, Mike, you did a great job with us. This. this is a really interesting conversation. Thank you.
2: Oh, really? I appreciate that. I uh, appreciate you for taking the time. You know what I mean? I'm really thankful that you did that. And um, like I said, man, I hope everything continues to go well for yourself and your family. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you and, and speaking to you again soon. And and t- I, I know you have another, a new project that just came out. You have a, I know you had a podcast I dropped today, right?
3: I did not. You no, did not. I, I was on one. I was on. Okay. Uh, you were on uh, one. With, I was on one with true. Yeah. Henry, uh, Henry, Attic. but no, I, uh, I have so far stayed out of the podcast game, but you never know.
2: Okay. So, so, so where, uh, where can we find you online?
3: Just, uh, on Twitter at Michael Grange and then uh, at sportsnet.ca. That's where all, all my written stuff uh, shows up and, uh, on the radio, sometimes 590, Fan 590, and, uh, you know, somewhere along. So I'm usually somewhere in those three places. But, okay. um, yeah. But, anyway, uh, appreciate you having me on here, Mike. You did a great job. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Appreciate that. One day. Good luck with the baby. Yeah. Thank
2: you. Thank you. So, I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much, Michael Grange. All Columnist, right, radio, and television personality from Roger Sportsnet. Michael Grange, have a wonderful evening. And I'll speak Appreciate to you, you soon. too brother. Bye. Well, folks, there you have it. Mr. Michael Grange. He was fantastic. He was fantastic. And I was so curious about this um about this man. The the quiet, seemingly quiet Michael Grange. He's a very interesting dude, man. And he does such fantastic work. For Sportsnet. I mean, anybody who watches the Toronto Raptors, you damn sure know who Michael Grange is. And I know you see his work all over the internet and social media. And he does a wonderful job with everything that he does. But that wraps up another episode for the Mike Roach Podcast. Big shout out to Michael Grange for coming on and giving us a whole bunch of knowledge. Uh, Make sure you follow everything like comment OXP media on Instagram OXP.media at Mike Roach 7 on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. And this wraps up another episode. So you already know who it is your boy Mike Roach and I'll be coming at you again next week.
1: been listening to the mike roach podcast where storytelling sports and keeping it real are the only ways to live by we hope you've gotten some valuable and practical information from the show link up with us on instagram at oxp.media or at mike roach 7 where you can view images of the content on this program we're on facebook apple podcast spotify and wherever you get your podcast have a wonderful day and thank you for listening Until next week.
0: For years, Minky Couture has been donating blankets to NICUs across the country. Owner Sandy Henry's grandson was born at 30 weeks, and she placed a mini blanket in her grandson's incubator. We want to help other NICU families with the Heart of Minky program, for every adult size blanket purchased, Minky Couture will donate a mini size blanket to NICUs across the nation. Thanks to you, we can fulfill our dream to blanket the world. Leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning.